turn to the Word of God for our instruction. We turn to the book of 2 Samuel and the chapter 10. The book of 2 Samuel and the 10th chapter. And reading these 19 verses that are before us. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 10. Let us hear the word of the Lord. The Lord help us, give us ears to hear as we draw near to him. As we open up his word, may he open it up to our understanding here. This Lord's Day morning, the Lord come in for us and be gracious unto us as we approach unto him. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city, and to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants, and shaved off one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and the king, Maka, a thousand men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and Ishtob and Maka were by themselves in the field. Then Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind. He chose all of the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him, into the battle against the Syrians. They fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai, and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon, and came to Jerusalem. 
And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadriezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. And they came to Halam, and Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadriezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Halam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadriezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon any more. Amen. So reads the infallible, inerrant, holy, and sacred word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless that reading of his word to our needful and never-dying souls. Let us draw near to him now in prayer. Let us seek the Lord this morning by faith. Well, dear friends, I'll ask you to please turn your prayerful attention now to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing there in the book of Second Samuel and the 10th chapter. These 19 verses, with the Lord helping this morning, we'll consider... Uh, the things contained therein. Remember last week we considered the kindness of David toward Mephibosheth on account of the kindness that he had, that friendship that he had with Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father. And they also made a covenant, remember, before the Lord. It was a gracious covenant. And David swore to Jonathan that he would show kindness to the offspring of Jonathan, that that house, that that seed would continue, and it did perpetuate. There was one left of the household of Saul, Jonathan's son. Now, of course, Jonathan was Saul's son, but Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. We thought of that name as well. The name really means breathing shame. Remember also, There was a king, one of Saul's sons became king over the 11 tribes, not the 12 tribes. David, we could say, was the second king proper. But there was another king, Isbosheth, which means man of shame. But there, God's mercy and the kindness that David showed to Jonathan, Jonathan was a man of God unlike his father Saul, there was one who was spared, Mephibosheth. And he sat and ate at the king's table. What mercy was shown to Mephibosheth. And remember, he was lame. And he was lame on the account that his nurse dropped him while she was fleeing to save his life. And as a young boy, he grew up lame. But in time, David the king saved him from peril And he ate at the king's table. And all that Saul had was restored to Mephibosheth. Now when we come to this chapter, and I do believe that the Holy Spirit has put these two chapters together, there is again kindness shown of David. But this time, 
It's not well received. It's quite astonishing. The kindness that was shown to Mephibosheth, who was humble, was well received. But here now, kindness is shown to the new king of Ammon, and we mustn't confuse the Ammonites with the Amorites. The Amorites were Canaanites, and they were to be utterly destroyed. But here the Ammonites are the offspring of Lot by incest. But here kindness is shown to uh, this new king, because his father has died, and David has shown kindness to his father, and yet it's not well received. This man, Hanan, his father Nahash, had been shown kindness, and he exchanged kindness to David. There was a wonderful relationship there. So we see, alas, here, the very opposite. David had shown kindness to Mephibosheth. It was well received. But now kindness to another son, but it's not well received. So it's interesting, isn't it, how God the Holy Spirit puts these two accounts together. And they serve by way of contrast meant to teach us many things, particularly about the lost. And we learn... I trust many things about our salvation if we are saved on account of God's grace. Now we read in verse 1, And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanon his son reigned in his stead. Now we notice, Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness Unto me, there was a wonderful relationship there, mutual kindness between David and Nahash, Hanan's father. But now he's gone. And, uh, well, it's a very sad account. And uh, there's much to learn here from this passage. What a contrast between Mephibosheth and this man, Hanan. He receives the kindness of David with great contempt. And he shames David's men. So what we have here are, we could say, two entirely different responses to the kindness of David. Now, what we need to do, first of all, is the outcomes of these must always be traced to the glorious sovereign purposes of Almighty God. God is going to be glorified even for the sake of man's wrath. We know from the Psalms that the Lord says himself, even the wrath of man shall praise him. God is working ultimately his purposes out, even in the shaming here, sadly, of David's men that he sends to this uh, man who is now king. His father's died. God is going to be glorified. We must always understand this, that the sovereignty of God does not alter human responsibility at the same time. And yet, at the same time, God's purposes are being worked out, and God will be glorified. And what we will see is that Hanan, despising the kindness of David, actually works not only to his own shame, to the shame 
of the Ammonites, but also to the very fact that the Syrians, as we read at the end of this chapter, are afraid of coming against Israel again. This will work to the preserving of Israel. It's amazing how all this works. So why is God doing this? Well, because the promised Savior will come into the world. Israel must be preserved. And God will preserve Israel in various ways. David's greater son must come into this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of Jesse and the son of David. He has to come into this world. This ultimately we need to see against the backdrop of the story, the greater purpose that is being fulfilled. Jesus Christ must come into the world. Whatever man is doing, God is working out, and sometimes this is amazing, God is working out not just two or three things, but thousands of things are being put into place. God is a God of order, and he has determined and decreed all things whatsoever should come to pass. Now, the first thing I want us to notice and set our attention upon here in verses 1 to 5 is... Uh, David's kindness shown to an unworthy king and really an unworthy people. Because you, you see how the people respond to this. There's no repentance on the part of the Ammonites for what this foolish young king does. There's no repentance whatsoever. Now you notice, first of all, and it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. Now, we don't know what form of kindness that was, but it seems quite clear from the scriptures here that there was kindness shown between these two men, and particularly Nahash to David. So it was a wonderful relationship, although very different people. And so David just wants to continue to show kindness. And the reciprocation of that kindness that he was shown to this son now, who is now king. And uh, well, we ask the question, as I said, who are the Ammonites? Well, if you just turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 19, and we read there at the end of the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? It's a terrible scene there. Read how Lot's daughters, they lay with him because they wanted that seed to continue, but they should have trusted in the Lord. It's really a sign here of unbelief, isn't it? They should have trusted in the Lord for husbands. We read there in Genesis 19, verse 36, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child, it says, by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. That's where the Moabites come from. This is the name of the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Nami. The, na- the same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So here is where we get the Ammonites. Again, please don't mistake these people for the Amorites. There are a lot of very similar names, aren't there, in the Old Testament, and it's easy to get confused. Now, these people, God commanded Moses 
and Joshua before they went to the, into the land, that they were never to meddle with these people and to destroy them because they were really related. Who was Lot? Lot was Abraham's nephew. And they were never to be destroyed. These were supposedly believing people. If you turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2, verse 19, we read there that David and anybody else, any other the kings, were forbidden to invade the land and, and, and to invade the, the, the Ammonites. They were given a territory, and that was to be preserved for them. God had made provision. Deuteronomy 2, 19, When thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee the land of the children of Ammon any possession. The Lord speaking here to Israel, he's saying, I'm not going to give you any of their land, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. So very clear there. And they should have known, therefore, that David was never a threat. That's an important point to make, isn't it? They, they could never be a threat because God had said it. And they should have known but that David was a man of his word. So here these children to lock by incest. Now this young king, his first sin really was that he made David out to be an enemy. Whereas David had proven that he was faithful. And he was kind to his father. Where did this young man get his ideas from? Well, the young princes, we're told. Have a look. Verse 3, And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out? And to overthrow it. You see these princes. Now presumably maybe younger men. His father would never have heard any such talk like this. David's kind. David has been good. These princes here. They say well you should really know better. David is up to no good. It's just a trick. He, he just wants to spy out the land. David has sent messengers to show kindness to these people. But they say, no, David just wants to spy out the land so that he can invade the land. Now, this young king should have known better not to listen to these princes. Hanan should never have doubted anyway. Had he any reason to doubt David? Now, the problem really is a condition of the heart, isn't it? It's always a condition of the heart. And one of the reasons why men go wrong is they judge other people by their own standards. That's very true often. People judge others by their own standards. Love thinketh no evil, my friends. Sometimes, unless, of course, Christian love demands that we believe the best about other people until we are forced to conclude otherwise. But this young man is listening to these princes here. And you know, often we'll listen to others to put others down. That's the reason why often people listen to others because it makes others look bad. And that's wrong. 
And the way that he treats David's men is not simply a practical joke. It's a terrible thing. He really meant to shame them and to insult them. And he was the one that should have been ashamed. He saw the kindness that David showed his father. What on earth is he doing listening to these princes? Well, maybe this is a new generation. And often with a new generation, everything has to be new. New ideas, new this, new that. It's, it's pride at the heart of it. Pride is at the heart, my friend, at every sin. It's always pride, isn't it? We know better. It was just like that with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, wasn't it? When he didn't listen to the elders, but he rather listened to the younger men. What was at the heart of it? We younger generation, we know what's right. Don't tell us what to do. There was peace when his father was king. And now he thinks he can make a practical joke out of these kind men of David. At the heart of it, friends, it's a heart problem. Pride is at the heart, let me tell you, at every sin. Every sin. Right at the heart of it, it's pride. We need to learn from those who are older and more mature in the faith, don't we? Now, there's no reason to do this. After all, the kindness that David had shown this young man's father. Now, secondly, in verse 5, we see David's response. Now, first of all, David's response is wonderful because he doesn't get all the guns out straight away. David does everything in a measured way. The first thing is he does is he doesn't think about himself. He thinks about these men that have been shamed. Half their beards have been shaven off and they cut their garments off at the buttocks here. And you can imagine it was a, such a shameful thing to do. But notice what David does. When they told it unto David, verse 5, he sent to meet them. Because the men were greatly ashamed. So obviously they, they go out with clothes for these men. Then they clothe them. And then he allows a time for these men's beards to grow back. I mean, this is just just wonderful provision, isn't it? David doesn't want these men shamed. After all, they were about David's business. They were about the work of their master. And their master is gracious. And so David honored them. So firstly, he thinks, doesn't he, about his servants. And, And the Lord, in like manner, he always thinks about his people. And, you know, he those that try to shame us, will be shamed. Those that try to shame the true people of God will ultimately be shamed. So verse 6, And when the children of Ammon saw that they, that is themselves, that is their reputation before David, stank, or became a stench in his nostrils before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrel, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of the king of Maka, 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. So when the 
children of Ammon here. And it says here the children, not simply the princes, but the nation. When they realized they'd bitten off more than they could chew, what did they do? Well, they didn't repent. That's the first thing they should have done. The whole nation should have repented. This is a shameful thing we have done. But instead, what what do they do when they realize David is incensed at this? And David doesn't react straight away. They do not repent. And my friends, that is the world. And that's the unbeliever. When they realize that they have sinned against God and that their stench in God's nostrils, what does the sinner do? He rises up against the Lord and he, he, as it were, gets up on his hind legs and opposes God. As one preacher used to say, the sinner, he says, you'll not speak about my heart. You'll not look in my heart. I'll pull down the blinds and I'll shoot arrows. That's what we do by nature. We pull down the blinds. You're not going to look at my heart. You're not going to judge me. Pull down the blinds. I won't listen to your sermon, preacher. And I'll shoot arrows. And that's what we've got here. The pulling down of blinds and saying, you're at fault. We oppose you. There's no shame from these people here. They don't entreat David. They don't beseech David in their folly. They listen to their foolish king, Hanan. At the heart of the people, what is it? It's pride again, isn't it? Oh, I'm amazed how you read some commentators on this passage. They take the attitude, David is doing wrong here. But the whole nation is wrong. The Ammonites. I mean, these people ought to be ashamed anyway of their own heritage. David had nothing to be ashamed of. They had time to entreat David. They had time to beseech him. The kindness of the years that David had shown. And remember, David was king over Judah for how long? Seven years. And uh, David had shown kindness to these people. But they repaid Good with evil, didn't they? And what is at the heart of that? Pride. That's the world. What does God do every day? He causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and his rain. God provides. What does the world do? Stand against God every day. That's the world, isn't it? And what do they do? They hire the Syrians. They hire these wicked Syrians. I mean, here are supposedly Abraham's, and they are, family, Lot. So they hire the Syrians, and you look at the vast amount. 20,000 footmen, verse 20. And 20,000 footmen, verse 6. And the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Batharob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maka, 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. So thousands, thousands. This is insane, isn't it? But this is pride, isn't it, at the heart? 
Well, is it sufficient? Well, friends, it'll never be sufficient if it's against God. Will it? Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Well, here, this is a serious thing. This is not some simple practical joke, but this is deliberate trying to shame David and the God of David and the God of Israel. And David has every right here because God's name is being blasphemed. The kindness that is shown. And so seventhly, or thirdly, should we say, we see in verse 7, David's zeal for the glory and honor of the Lord's name and the Lord's people who are called after his name. And when David heard of it, verse 7, he sent Joab and all of the host of the mighty men. Some people would say, well, David should not have made so much of this, but they would be wrong. David was right to do this, and we see how the Lord honors this matter. David was right to treat this as a matter of war. And, and here, by the way, David, as we know from Romans 13, David is a king. And there, it is right to honor the Lord in such circumstances. Something like this. This was, they made a public spectacle of these men. And it's right now that justice be served on this matter. Romans 12, it's interesting. If you read, by the way, if you turn to Romans 12, when you read the book of Romans, understand that when we read the book of the Romans, there were no chapter divisions, were there? And so when we read chapter 12, it says there, and it's speaking on a personal note, don't avenge people yourself. Personal vendettas are prohibited in the word of God. But where it comes to Things done against a nation, a state, and particularly against God, and the honoring of God in that state and nation, then a nation must act. And, and this, is, this is wrong. They, 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 they really took these men and did horrifically to them. Romans twelve nineteen, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. In other words, no personal vendettas. What we call lex talionis. Exact retribution. That is in the hands of the civil magistrates. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That we read in Deuteronomy. When the Lord speaks in Matthew 5, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He didn't overturn the law. He said, I've not come to abolish the law. But what the Jews did is they took the civil authority, and they put it into the hands of the individual. And what Paul is dealing with here is do not take personal vendetta against somebody. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. That's the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now notice, I said no chapter divisions. Come to Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth power, resisteth the ordinance of God, that they resist 
shall receive unto themselves damnation for rulers are not for a terror of good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now why are such things put in the hands of the magistrates? Because sometimes when somebody does something to us, we want to do ten times worse, don't we? But here, let me say, the primary sin committed by this, or the chief sin committed against David and Israel, is against God. Remember what we read in God's word, He that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. The Lord has his people, and his name is at stake. And the Ammonites are supposed to be those who are Related here to professing, believing people of the true and the living God. But look at the way they're behaving. Now David, it's interesting, when you come to this passage, he does not destroy the Ammonites. They, they flee, they run away. There's not even, as we'll read in the passage here, there's no destruction of them. And David was forbidden to do so. Now, Look at the goal of them. They got all the Syrians. Muster up all the Syrians. Thousands of them. Does David go and destroy the Ammonites? No. Because God had forbidden it. And that's an important lesson to learn. But David had to rise up now. The Syrians are the first ones to raise up the armies of the enemies, the Ammonites are. They raise up the Syrians. So David has to act. David has to respond to this situation. It's only right. It's only proper. And God works it so that the Ammonites are still preserved. But the Syrians fear now. Now let's progress on. Notice verse 8. The wicked enemy wastes no time. And we say here the enemy really are, surprisingly, the Ammonites. They ought not to be. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtob and Makkah were by themselves in the field. So really, David doesn't take the first step here. It is the Ammonites. As soon as they see that they have become a stench in the nostril of David. They, they hire. They, they pay off the Syrians to fight the children of Israel. And it's, it's, it's evil, isn't it? And so again, no apology. They gather together in the fields. And then they call the Syrians. But you see wisdom given verse 9 and following. When Joab... That's David's captain saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind. He chose all of the choice men of Israel. So what had happened? The Ammonites on one side, the Syrians on the other. But there's a great distance between them. What does Joab do? He puts the choicest of the men, the strongest and most able fighting men to fight against these people and the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children 
of Ammon, who were the weaker, by the way, in this situation. Joab was guided by the Lord here, and thus the Lord gave the victory. Verse 11, and he said, and if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come up and help thee. Verse 12, be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Now again, I emphasize it was the Ammonites that hired all these Syrians. David has no choice now but to rise up. And here we see Joab, he sees his obligation to his God and to his country to behave like men. And so what does he do? He entrusts himself to the Lord. Well, we read that here. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. So he's done all the right things. He says, now our hands are in the, we're in the Lord's hands as it were. Verse 13, and Joab drew nigh and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians, now notice, and they fled before him. That amazing, fled. It seems that they hardly had to raise a sword here. Now, it's interesting, Joab, when he realized that the Ammonites were so far away, because they, they were flanked on both sides, they wanted, the Ammonites really wanted escape route back to their own land. And we read here, they, they escaped, they went back. And when the Ammonites realized that they couldn't communicate with the Syrians, unlike uh, Joab and his brother here, Abishai, they flee. Such a difference. These two men, Joab and his brother Abishai, they, they close together. And uh, well, the Lord gives them victory. Well, the result is the two opposing armies, they couldn't help and communicate with each other. The Ammonites flee, and then we read the Syrians flee, but then it's not the end of it. You come down to verse 17, uh, sorry, verse 15. You notice how the Syrians there, not wanting to be shamed by all this, they, they, they muster again. Verse 15, and when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. They didn't want to be shamed. And so we read in verse 16, and Hadriezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. And they came to Halim, and Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadriezer, went and they came to Halem, and Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadriezer, went before them. Now you notice the Lord's victory in verse 17, and how David slays them, David and his men. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with them. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. Now, it's interesting, the overall figure here, the Syrians gather even more men 
against Israel. 40,000 horsemen and all these chariots. You see what I mean? It, 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 it all works out to God's glory. And the Syrians, now we read at the end of the chapter, feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. They realized that these people were fools. Oh, they hired them, but they've made fools out of us. And what a loss it was for the Syrians. Now, it was a decisive and humiliating defeat for both Ammon and the Syrians, wasn't it? When you think of Ammon treating David's kindness with such wickedness, despite David's good character, they are the ones shamed. It's always the way in the end, isn't it? David only meant good. They had no reason to despise the riches of David's goodness. I suppose that's what the world does. The world despises the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. They say, really? Is God so good? Is God so good to say? Yes, he is. Humbling, isn't it? Being a Christian is a humble thing. He has mercy through us, uh, to us through his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And God is merciful. We are the ones who are to be shamed. Now, there are a number of lessons and application as we try to draw some lessons and conclusions here. The first is this. Evil company corrupts good manners, doesn't it? We go right back to these princes that influenced this new king. They listened, or this new king listened to his princes. And I would say, young people, who do you listen to? Who are your companions? Very important to make friends with God's children. It's very important that you listen to God's word. God is not like man. And thank the Lord for that. And God's people will always point you in the right direction, my friends. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And, and it it's just really a mercy that the Ammonites were not utterly destroyed, isn't it? It was only on account that God had said in Deuteronomy, you can't touch these people, you can't touch their land. Could you imagine? Again, evil company corrupts good manners. And let me say, wrath against God shall eventually redound to God's praise. Psalm 76, verse 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So that's the first lesson, isn't it? Be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you listen to. Evil company corrupts good manners. 
And sometimes people choose to believe a lie because the truth makes other people look bad. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes people choose to believe a lie because the truth makes other people look bad. Hammon, or or this son here, he wanted to believe a lie. He wanted to, no doubt, make out as if he was better and wiser than his father. Oh, we're the new people. My friend, anything new is not always good, is it? And pride is at the heart of it. David, we could say, was an example of what kings should have been like. Hanan is an example of what kings should not be like. Rash, proud, conceited. And so in shaming David's kind men, Hanan himself is shamed. His own wickedness is exposed. His own folly is exposed. Secondly, as I said earlier, men often judge God and his servants by their own standards. Where do I get this from? Psalm 50, verse 21. The Lord says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. You thought I was just like you. You thought I wasn't going to do anything. And we often think that God is like us, but he's not. And that's both good and bad. Let me explain. In terms of forgiveness, God forgives because he is a God of mercy, and he delighteth in mercy. And therefore he's not like us. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And the one who truly seeks him and sues him for that mercy will find mercy. But not the proud. There's that verse in Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. That's the condition. Return, repent. For he will abundantly pardon. And God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. God is not like us. And God does what he says he's going to do. And God is not mocked. And God is a God of justice. But in his son there's mercy. In his son there's forgiveness. In his son there is life. David, again, is a wonderful foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. The kindness shown. Yet, the non-elect will despise the riches of his grace. Always. The unbeliever will always despise the grace of God. Of course, they won't receive it because they won't be quickened. But they'll always despise it. There's the sovereignty of God there, but there's also, isn't there, the responsibility of man. They, they reject the gospel report. Who hath believed our report, says Isaiah, or who hath believed, or to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? If Christ has been revealed to you, you will receive the gospel report. 
You will see that you're a sinner. The gospel report tells you you're a sinner. You are hell deserving. That's what the gospel report tells you. There's no good news apart from the bad news, friends. You're bad. You're wicked, deserving hell. But God in the riches of his son gives to his people who believe eternal life in his son. The kindness of the Lord. It's not too good to be true. It's true. But sinners want a God like them. And this is what this king was doing. Another lesson we glean from this passage is do good to all men. As much as depends upon you. Be at peace with all men. David was kind to Hanan's father, the Ammonites, even when he didn't have to be. He didn't have to be, but he was. And, it, and it's true for us as Christians. Do good to all men. David, I suppose, like some, could have taken the high moral ground. and said, have you men of Ammon stopped to think of your heritage? Do you not, not know that you're from incest? He could have said that. He could have said when they stripped his men, cut off their robes and shaved their beards, he could have said, do you not know your own shame, your own nakedness of your own past? He could have said that, but he didn't. But it's they that rise up against him. It's they that muster up the Syrians. But they spare, don't they? Well, let us do good to all men. And even when your enemy despises you, do good to him. Until, of course, and you have to leave wrath in the place of God, and God has put magistrates and civil authorities there for that reason. We must leave these things in the hands of the Lord. Now, again, we see the preserving of Israel through the Syrians now fearing, right at the end, verse 19, to help the children of Ammon anymore. What a preservation that was. Something else, God's servants, we think of these servants that were shamed. God's true ministers should, be, ex, should expect to be shamed in this world. You know, we shouldn't expect an easy ride, should we? The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.12 concerning himself and other ministers. He said, and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, and we bless being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. But is it worth it? Yes. Because God will honor his servants in the end. And we should expect in a God-hating world that his true ministers will be despised. He said, blessed are ye when ye suffer these things, for my name's sake, and so on. Well, the Lord gave victory, didn't he? They came out against God's servants, and they flee. These Ammonites and the Syrians. And one day, friends, let me say this. Men will not be able to flee. The great day of wrath is coming. And men shall be calling upon the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them. 
but there will be the mighty angels of God pulling out men out of caves and rocks and bringing them before the very throne of God. And we read, who shall stand on that great day? You may mock God's people, you may mock the truth, you may despise. One day you'll have to stand before the Lord. We read, and I close with this, Revelation 6.13, And the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is taken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, And the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to? To stand. Well, the Ammonites fled. But you know, one day, no one will flee. And they will come not before David, but David's greatest son, who has given you life and breath, and who has been kind to you every day of your life. And how have you repaid God's kindness? Have you repented of your sins? The gospel is to be believed. The report of the gospel, that God saves sinners, but men despise that. But here's the thing. And you know this, that you're a child of God. If you have repented and you have believed on God's goodness toward you in Jesus Christ. And friend, all of the Lord's will come. He said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. What kindness shown to Mephibosheth, what kindness shown even to this king and his father. And you know, all of God's children receive that kindness with gladness. What did the Lord say? Greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And he said, ye are my friends, if ye keep my commandments. Those are his friends. You bow to him. You bow to him. And you say, yes, you are king. You are Lord. Those are God's children. The rest, like the Syrians, the unbelieving will be destroyed. God is coming. The great day of his wrath is approaching. If we are saved, we thank God for sovereign grace, don't we? His grace turned my heart to believe, to repent, and to receive the kindness of his son. I wouldn't have received it otherwise. He makes his people willing in the day of his power. May God be at work in souls, even here today, for his name's sake.
Amen.